Well, it is a privilege to be here with you this morning, and I'm excited for our time together in God's Word. And uh, yeah, if you would just come on in and find a seat, we'll get started. If you would, you can take your Bibles and open to James. We will, of course, continue our study this morning in Equip through the book of James. We'll be in chapter three. You know, last year, The Guardian ran an article about an Australian farmer who grew flowers for wholesale. Imagine a large scale operation. And thrilled with the color of the new crop, this farmer did what just about anyone would do when they see something cool. What do do you think this farmer did? It took a picture. This farmer took a picture of the new flowers and posted it online in order to demonstrate to the whole world the beautiful new poppies soon to be for sale. You can imagine this farmer's surprise when shortly thereafter she was contacted by local authorities requesting permission to come and gather a sampling of the flowers. And after testing at a local university, it was discovered that these poppies actually contained opium making them, to say the least, highly illegal flowers. When asked how these narcotic producing plants ended up in the farmer's pasture, she responded by saying that she had simply purchased and planted seeds in the same old fashion as so many years before, and she was more surprised than anybody to find out that she was not only growing, but actually advertising to the world drugs for sale. You see, the farmer had planted seeds, unknowingly harvesting a crop of dangerous flowers. Unknowingly, that is, until the harvest was demonstrated to the world. Today, James is going to teach us about wisdom. Our timeless truth for our passages today is that Christians demonstrate godly wisdom through gentle and pure deeds. Christians demonstrate godly wisdom through gentle and pure deeds. We will see that when it comes to living wisely, Christians should not have social media. (laughs) No, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just just kidding, I should bridle my tongue there. Um, When it comes to living wisely, we can often be like this farmer desiring to grow beautiful flowers, but in reality, demonstrates something harmful, dangerous, and even deadly. Most of us would assume we are wise today as we continue looking into the mirror of God's word, we might be like this farmer, surprised at what we discover. You see, the opium flowers had a distinct color about them that gave them away. But how can we tell if the wisdom we demonstrate is from heaven or from hell, faithful or fatal? Well, today, James will teach us if the wisdom we demonstrate is helpful or harmful from heaven or from hell. Would you pray with me? 
Well, Father, we come to you grateful for this morning. We are so appreciative of your power in demonstrating over the weather and relief. And Father, as we come to your word, we come with joyful expectation, grateful that you teach your children. And today about wisdom, Father, give us ears to hear and may you be glorified by the teaching of your word this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read our verses together. James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Today, we're going to be looking at a new section in James, but I do believe that as we go along, you'll notice that we're not transitioning to a new subject. In fact, we would be wise ourselves to see where it is we are and how we got here. We know that the book of James, the theme is the true effects of saving faith, the effects of true saving faith. In chapter one, we learned that true saving faith seeks to be faithful in the midst of trials and temptations. True saving faith makes one a doer of the word and not a hearer only. In chapter two, True saving faith does not mix with partiality and true saving faith displays works. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. In chapter three, last week, Drew taught us that true saving faith compels one to bridle the tongue. Just as the bit restrains the horse, so too the Christian restrains his tongue and today we will continue in that same vein as we look at what is required to bridle this untamable beast. To bridle the tongue, James says we need wisdom. And today we're gonna be presented with two very different types of wisdom. One, with one we bless our Lord and Father and with the other we curse men, these are the wisdoms that will power your tongue. And verse 13 is going to make up our entire main point, and that is wisdom demonstrated. James leads this section with a question in order to get your attention. You see, it's natural for us to consider wisdom subjectively. For instance, I am wiser than fill in the blank, but maybe not as wise as so-and-so. And as I look around, I see some of your confidence is rising. I would ask you to please keep your hand down. 
for a moment, forget about who's sitting next to you and consider who asked the question. This is James the Just, brother of our Lord. The man history is nicknamed Camel Knees for having been bowed down, spent so much time in prayer. If we were to ask this question, who among you is wise? Is anyone willing to raise their hand? And the fact that no one is willing to raise their hand, I would consider that a good thing because this question is designed to stir up humility within us. I mean, if, if I asked this question and 12 of y'all stood up with hands raised high in the air, would anybody really believe those people? I doubt it. But none of this is to say that no one can be wise. I personally benefited from wisdom from both men and women in this congregation. And there are those here who don't have to cower in fear to this question because James, again, is not presenting wisdom subjectively. It's more categorical in nature than scalable, if you will. James's question isn't meant to humiliate you or to browbeat you. It's simply designed to get your attention. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be understanding? What does it mean to be wise and understanding? Are, are these one and the same? Is he simply repeating himself? If we think of wisdom, biblical wisdom, I would ask y'all, if we think of wisdom biblically, where does our mind typically go to? Can anyone tell me where we might go? Solomon, absolutely. Proverbs, yes. Sure. Ecclesiastes, yes, living within our creatureliness, wisdom in the world. Sure. Jesus, we could, we could go on and on. And if we brought all of these together, all of these different places in the Bible, wisdom understood biblically is living in accordance with truth. Living in accordance with truth. Wisdom is having knowledge and discernment to make decisions, to live faithfully and respond in a God-honoring manner. If we were to make a Venn diagram, does anybody remember those things? The, the Venn diagram, the circles that overlap with one another. And if we pulled in Jesus, Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Beatitudes, wisdom from all over the Bible, what we would see in that middle circle is a type of maturity and knowledge one possesses that enables them to live wisely, to live life well. Man, talk about applicable. Is there anyone here who doesn't desire to know how to maneuver amongst the nuances of life today? I mean, you may know people like this when it comes to living Wisely, they're simply like a, a fish in water. Living well comes easy for them. One commentator describes the wise person as those who live closely to God, see more clearly into things than others do, and just know how to manage life's varied circumstances. This is wisdom, biblical wisdom in a, in a broad sense. But let's narrow our focus because James uses two words when talking to us this morning. First, let's look at wise. 
You can turn there if you like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for time's sake. But uh, 1 Kings 3.16. 1 Kings 3.16. We're going to be looking at these two words specifically in their uses in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that would have been available to many in the first century, especially James. And this word wise, this is how it's used in the Old Testament. Then... Two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was still in the house. It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid with him on her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours Excuse me. Uh, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is the mother. And when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So if we boil these verses down, if we could distill them down into one word, what did wisdom allow Solomon to do in this instance? What would we say? Discern, exactly, that's right. Now I have read some of the literature on biblical counseling and conflict, conflict resolution, and for the life of me, I can't remember anywhere where it tells us to draw a sword on another, but if, if we go back to our commentator's description of the wise person, those who live close to God, see more clearly into things, and just know how to manage life's varied circumstances. In that sense, we see the wisdom of God at work in Solomon, giving him discernment to manage a very messy circumstance. Now, we may not have crowns on our heads, but what are some instances in our lives that we should be patiently 
discerning with others. Anybody? Children, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk about a sword cutting you in half. Oof. Patient with our children, yes. Yes, spouses, co-workers, absolutely. James is also asking us, though, who is understanding? James was emphasizing discernment, but now James is going to reach into a different area of that Venn diagram, if you will, and reach for understanding. Understanding is knowledge learned by experience. Think of an apprentice practicing and learning his trade under the supervision of his trainer. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The word here is translated as new, but it conveys the same idea. You see, God dealt with Moses differently than any of the other prophets. He dealt with him firsthand or face to face. This is also the word we would find in Genesis 4, where it speaks of a man knowing his wife, with, with Adam knowing Eve. And speaking of marriage, is anyone in this room newly married? Maybe two years, five years or less? Okay. All right. Well, let me share with you some understanding, okay? <laughs> Though your wife is not your biological mother, Technically, if she has birthed your children, you owe her a present on Mother's Day. Now, I know you won't find that in Paul or Peter's household codes. You won't even find that in the Song of Solomon. That is wisdom learned firsthand, understanding, if you will. But James is asking us, who is so experienced that they have these types of technical insights into the various nuances of life. But how are we supposed to recognize and discern who is understanding in this way in the church? I mean, it feels a bit like we have a scroll before us with seven seals and we would cry, who, who is worthy? But when it comes to identifying wisdom and understanding, James tells us not to look solely for diplomas or distinguishments, but James wants wisdom to be demonstrated. Now, wisdom we know is many things, but it is certainly the ability to discern and navigate towards righteousness, and it is knowledge learned by experience. So now let's get back to it, because here is our command in the verse. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. If you profess to be wise, we should be able to see it. Let him show is an imperative command. It is not James simply making a suggestion. James is looking for receipts. He says, if you're wise, I want to see it. Does anyone here have a company credit card? Anybody? Anybody make purchases on a company credit card? Yeah, you have to turn those in, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have them at work too, and if we don't turn them in, we get in trouble, if you will. We get the hand slapped. But you see, a common charge for us at my work would be somewhere like Lowe's or Home Depot. 
Uh, and if the office logs in on the online bank account, they can see where the money is spent, but they can't see what is purchased. But, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot sells more than just nuts, bolts, and duct tape. They also sell Red Bulls, Snickers, phone chargers, and these are the type of things that the office does not want to see on the receipts. If we look at verse 13, what does James tell us that he wants to see on the godly wisdom receipt? How is wisdom to be demonstrated? Anybody? Absolutely, thank you. Good behavior. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Good behavior. This word in the original language is not speaking of good in regards to morality as in good versus evil. This is actually the word used to speak of something beautiful. One lexicon defines it as beautiful as in an inward, I'm sorry, an outward sign of the inward good. The wisdom associated with the ability to bridle one's tongue should present itself with beauty. Now, this of course sounds beautiful, but consider the context. James is writing to the 12 tribes, if you will, dispersed abroad. I can imagine some reactions in the congregation. James, you're wanting us to act beautifully in the midst of being ran out of Jerusalem, having our houses taken from us, escaping, trying not to be martyrs, all in the midst of various trials and temptations. James, that's, that's a tall order. I mean, can you and I admit that acting and demonstrating wisdom in tough circumstances isn't natural for us? Yeah, I, I think we can admit that. But just to be clear, James is not saying that when that biopsy report comes in or when we lose our job, that we're supposed to demonstrate beautiful Christian wisdom by never letting anyone see us with tears on our face, shirt untucked, or, or house out of order. That's, that's not what he's saying. What James is saying is that wisdom is demonstrated beautifully, that life is being navigated well when they hear that we lost our job. When our four-year-old is acting like a four-year-old, they see the laundry baskets running over, they see the, the tears on our face, but they hear a gentle voice considering it all joy, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and they can see a beautiful endurance making us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. The watching world is going to see good behavior, but we will know inwardly this is wisdom's humility, wisdom's gentleness, and wisdom's demonstration. So James has gotten our attention. He has defined wisdom as the discernment and firsthand knowledge necessary to live life well and told us that the wise man or woman will demonstrate their wisdom and the gentleness of good conduct. But to be honest, demonstrating wisdom with beauty and gentleness is not 
natural for us. At least it's not natural for me, if I'm honest. Too often the expense report of our days will out us on charges not approved by the standards of godly wisdom. And so now we will move to those unapproved charges with our first subpoint, earthly wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. James structures our verses this morning with a main point, which is wisdom demonstrated, and then we will have two subpoints. This is our first subpoint, earthly wisdom. We can see the transitions with the words, but if you have. Essentially what James is going to do is present us with two demonstrations that are not allowed on the godly wisdom receipt. Jealousy and selfish ambition. If we demonstrate these behaviors while professing to be wise, we are arrogant liars. First, bitter jealousy. Some translations and yours may use the word envy and and that is correct, but I think it masks a bit of nuance. The, The word is zealous, which may sound familiar and the, it's used throughout the Bible And the wise student will use context to determine whether it's being used for good or for bad. So what is our contextual clue in verse 14 that tells us the way in which James is meaning this? Do we see any clues? Yeah. Bitter, absolutely, that's correct. He says, bitter jealousy. Where have we seen this word or have we, I may have just given it away, I did. Where have we seen this word, bitter, in James before? Anybody? Chapter three. (laughs) Chapter three, does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Y'all recall that? What James is saying is the person who behaves with bitter jealousy cannot by nature, demonstrate godly wisdom. A man with bitter jealousy can no more demonstrate godly wisdom than an apple tree produce watermelons. When it comes to bridling your tongue, you will never respond with bitter jealousy and godly wisdom. Has anyone ever been overcome with this type of bitter jealousy? with someone in an argument or a conversation, you said everything that you wanted to say with that bitter jealousy working within you turned around and thought, I have zero regrets about what just came out of my mouth. Sure, we, we, we won't act with bitter jealousy and godly wisdom. But if I had to guess, I might say that many of you are like me, too prideful or dignified to admit to someone that we're in fact jealous, but where does James say that this jealousy resides? That's right, in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, we may hide this jealousy from one another, but the Lord still sees it. And it's interesting, who is James writing to? He's writing to dispersed Christians. 
scattered from Jerusalem, who, people who have created new churches. He's writing to church plants. And I imagine that if we were brave enough, we could spend a good deal of time going around discussing opportunities to be tempted to jealousy within our church plant, North Lake Bible Church, you know. Maybe we weren't invited to that gathering. Maybe we weren't asked to volunteer at such and such event. Or maybe we weren't approached after service by that person. Brothers and sisters, in such instances, we may bridle our tongue and conceal our jealousy. But if we have bitter jealousy in our hearts, the Lord still sees it. And we should be particularly careful in such instances, knowing that godly wisdom and bitter jealousy, like water and oil, do not mix. And bitter jealousy gives rise to selfish ambition. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? I'll read it. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. Listen here. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Jealousy and strife, this is the same Greek word that we have in James, caused an issue in the church of Corinth. What issue is Paul concerned with here? Factions, cliques, clusters within the body of Christ, people claiming to be of Paul or Apollos. We see this word used in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. This type of unholy sanctification or Setting ourselves apart in our mind from others is not a demonstration of godly wisdom. And where does wisdom, I'm sorry, where does James say that this wisdom comes from? Earthly, natural, demonic. James describes this type of wisdom with three increasingly worse adjectives. This is the type of wisdom the Apostle John would say is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Earthly means that it did not originate with God. The Bible repeatedly speaks of spirits and systems in opposition to God as being earthly or worldly. In chapter 4, James is going to speak of how friendship with the world is actually enmity with God. Sam Storms commenting on the Christian's relationship with the world says, we do not draw upon its energy to live. We do not derive our motivation from the spirit of the world. We do not identify with it in such a way that it powers to serve or to drive or sustain us. Jealousy and selfish ambitions are demonstrations of worldly wisdom and worldly men. 
the world thrives on this type of behavior, but we know that friendship with the world is enmity with God and earthly wisdom is ungodly. James also says it's natural. You're, uh, if you're using the ESV, it may say unspiritual. And whereas earthly spoke of wisdom's origin, now natural is going to speak of this wisdom's nature. Fleshly might be a good translation. Jealousy and selfish ambition come naturally to the flesh. Unregenerate men demonstrate this type of wisdom naturally. It's the air that they breathe. This is you and I before God saved us. Self-centeredness provoked by jealousy. These were the routes that we ran prior to knowing Christ. These were the playbook. We didn't have to practice them. We didn't have to learn them. This wisdom came natural for us. But James also calls it demonic. This is James' final description of this wisdom that's in fact contrary to gentleness and good conduct. And I wanna read a familiar passage to you and I wanna analyze it through this corrupted, self-centered, demonic paradigm. It's gonna be Genesis 3, one through seven. And as I read it, I want you to be on the lookout for poor discernment, manipulation, jealousy, and even selfish ambition at work in the fall of man. Genesis 3, one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. This may seem like a throwaway statement of the year, but if we think of the wisdom that Adam and Eve chose to use, if we think of wisdom as living in accordance with truth and the knowledge that God has revealed, it seems quite clear that the wisdom that Adam and Eve chose to demonstrate in the garden was not from above. It was in fact demonic. James now goes on to provide us with an application, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. It could also be where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is dysfunction and all types of evil. Is this a description that's becoming of the body of Christ? And this is not just disorder visibly at work, but more specifically in the heart. Hear Jude's warning about internal disorders manifesting itself as trouble within the church. Jude says, in the last time there will be mockers 
following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. Now that we understand that James's application, the earthly, natural, demonic wisdom demonstrates itself in the church through bitter jealousy and even aggressive, selfish ambition, we now get to press on to our second category or our second subpoint, which is heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. But the wisdom from above. Verse 17 is going to function in the same way that verse 14 did. And that we are developing a new category and a clear new distinction is being made. Earthly, natural, demonic wisdom produces the bitter water. But now we get to taste the sweet You see, when it comes to wisdom, there is no overlap between the two. There is no brackish water. Godly and earthly wisdom do not mix. In the same way that cursing and blessing should not come from the same mouth, so also earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom should not come from the same heart. And this is the wisdom that comes from above. This is a clear indication that this is God's wisdom, a different nature because of a different source. And to the extent that we demonstrate this type of wisdom, we will be walking in godly wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure. If you would look down at verse 17 or up here, I want you to notice something. Notice the pecking order. The wisdom from above is first pure. Everything that James is going to move on to list is not lesser in importance. It's just that everything is going to flow out of this purity. The word purity speaks of ceremonial cleanliness or moral purity. Godly wisdom makes no compromises with sin. In any and every circumstance that we demonstrate godly wisdom, it will be in purity. Romans 13, 13 through 14, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh regarding its lust. The wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. And it makes sense. If we think of earthly wisdom as breeding strife, then godly wisdom, remember oil and water, these things don't mix. Peacemaking makes perfect sense. Commentator James Adamson describes this attribute of godly wisdom as freedom from strife, with others with the distinctively Hebraic meaning of inward peace or shalom. Members of the body demonstrating godly wisdom in word and in deed bring about peace and harmony, 
not strife and contention. Disorder, which this wisdom is in direct conflict with, the disorder is what we see uh, in James chapter 1 where James talks of a man being double-minded, if you remember that. He's conflicted. He's tossed back and forth like the surf of the sea. He's, he's praying but doubting all the while, unsettled and unstabled. This is not peaceful. Godly wisdom makes individuals and congregations a peaceful and a peacemaking people. The prince of peace is the embodiment of godly wisdom. Jesus makes cosmic peace in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus also makes peace between us and God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that we love is God's gospel of peace. Apart from the cross, repentance and faith, there is no peace between you and God. The cross is in fact God's offer of peace to humanity. John 3, 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Christ's ministry was one of peacemaking and we as Christians should be demonstrating similar attributes as one who promote peace even when this peace only comes at great personal cost. Next, this wisdom is gentle. Look back at verse 13. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds how. How, how does he want the deeds to be shown? In the gentleness of wisdom, thank you. Here James speaks specifically of gentleness in response to being provoked. You know, uh, a few years ago, my family, we, we had a dog. It was a large dog, and his breed is known to develop tumors. And after a while, sure enough, he did. And we, we had to have one of his legs amputated. And when we were bringing him back, we were cognizant of the fact, and many people told us that to be careful because he might experience phantom pains, pains in the, the, the part of the body that's now missing. So we were, we were cognizant of that as we brought him home. But one of my favorite pictures of my children is me when I brought him home. And remember, he's just been through surgery. He had a limb cut off. He's easily provoked to pain. But we got him home and he's laying there in, in, in the living room and instantly my children just gravitate to him and they're hanging all over him. And we got to take pictures with him, but he was gentle. Despite being provoked, he never snipped, he never gnarled, he never showed any aggression because he knew the kids were not a threat. And in the same way, godly wisdom will recognize a true threat versus a weaker brother. Wisdom demonstrates itself through word and deed and gentleness. It's also reasonable. Man, here's an important one for us. Reasonable, 
compliant or deferential. Your translation may say open to reason, and this word is actually only used here throughout all of the New Testament. But the idea is an idea of a respectful inclination to be in agreement with another when possible. One of the commentators mentioned that outside of the primary issues of the faith, there was never a more reasonable theologian than the Apostle Paul. Brother, if prime rib, it's not sinful, but if, it, if it's going to cause you to stumble, then let's go get ramen, you know? I mean, now this is not turning a blind eye, okay? This is not learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, this attribute of godly wisdom may take more wisdom, may take more discernment than any other attribute that we have here. And real quick, we don't have a whole lot of time, but what is, an, what is a topic, whether theological or personal or whatever, what is a topic that we can show respectful, deferential uh, inclination to one another in the church? Are there areas like that that may want to be, uh, have contention, but we can, if it's not a primary issue, maybe we can just show a respectful uh, inclination to one another. Okay. Oh, whoa, whoa. What do I? Homeschool versus public school. Just kidding. Um, okay. Yes. Very good, Chris. Absolutely. There's, you won't find chapter and verse on that. That is a, a matter of wisdom. And different people are going to use or come to different conclusions using the same Bible. And that's an excellent area where we can show uh, respectful inclination and try to be in agreement with one another. Godly wisdom is open to reason. Next, it's full of, this is speaking of filled to the brim. It's completely filled up. Wisdom is not going to be lacking in these next two areas. Interestingly, these are going to be nouns. Think of something tangible in the midst of a host of adjectives, okay? These are spiritual assets that the wise Christian will have in stockpiles, okay? First is mercy. When others demonstrate towards us earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom, godly wisdom responds with what? What is the tender that we have that is backed by the full faith and trust of the sinless Lamb of God printed daily within us with prayer? Mercy, we can show mercy. James 2:13. for judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Also, James says, good fruits. And it makes sense, right? If someone is wise, if they're truly wise, we should be able to look at their life and see good fruits. We should see them living life well. This is what Wade talks about. This is living what we learn. Proverbs is rich with this type of applied wisdom. And in Matthew 7, 16, Jesus gives us a test of authenticity to help us to discern whether people are truly what they say they are. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. Unwavering, this wisdom is also unwavering. This is wholeheartedness or sincerity in thought, undivided in mind. 
And this is not a license to bypass the gentleness, the reasonableness, and the mercy that we just talked about. The idea, again, is sincerity of thought. Douglas Moo says, the person characterized by godly wisdom from heaven will be stable, trustworthy, transparent. The kind of person consistently displaying the virtues of wisdom and on whom one can rely for advice and counsel. In chapter four, James says, the one trying to be friends with the world and with God is double-minded. Earlier in chapter one, James tells us not to be double-minded when we ask God for wisdom. Here in chapter three, James is telling us, don't be double-minded when you demonstrate godly wisdom. Wise Christians are undivided in mind, knowing that godly wisdom is best. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The one thing we don't want to do is profess with our mouth that heavenly wisdom is best, but with our lives demonstrate that we believe otherwise. And that brings us to wisdom is without hypocrisy. Wise Christians will be committed to both orthodoxy, that is right belief, and orthopraxy, correct practice. And this idea of applying and living by what we know can be seen throughout the whole New Testament. If you take Ephesians, for example, the first three chapters, Paul labors to tell us of the Christian's position. He says, we are chosen, we are sealed, we are saved and we're united. Then he goes on in chapters four through six, he takes all of that rich doctrine that he's put together and he builds out the application with the Christian practice. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love and being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, the hypocrite is two-faced. He's an actor. And the negative connotation comes to this word, not from one play acting or, or wearing a mask on stage, but one who wears a mask in life. This way in one instance and this way in another. Hypocrisy is the fruit of being double-minded, praying, God give me heavenly wisdom to get through this trial and when the trial passes, resorting back to our selfish ambitions. Wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. And finally, the application. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're coming to the end of our verses and James is going to end this verse in the same way that he ended his description of earthly wisdom. Whereas earthly, natural, demonic wisdom produces strife and disorder, Wisdom from above produces righteousness. So often we can want the outcome of our wisdom to be to, to win the argument or to prove the person wrong. 
And sometimes it feels like if we don't win the argument or if we don't prove the person wrong, we can be tempted to think that wisdom was insufficient in that instance or that the means weren't sufficient for the end that we wanted. It's easy to think that gentleness, reasonableness, and mercy can be inadequate for life in 2023. But our final question, what, what other spiritual discipline in the Bible do we see described in such agrarian ways? In an agrarian way, do we see a spiritual discipline being described? That's right, evangelism, evangelism, scattering the seed. Who here has won every single soul that they have shared the gospel with? Anybody? No. We rejoice even when just a seed is planted, trusting the Lord of the harvest that some seed will be snatched and some seed will increase a hundredfold. In the same way, implementing what we've learned today may not immediately produce a harvest of debate championships or restored relationships. Let's slow down and look at verse 18. I said that was the last question. I have one more. What is the verb here? If we look at verse 18, what is the verb? How is the application of wisdom described? Is it harvesting? Is it reaping? Is it gathering in peace? No. Sowing. Sowing peace. James has not equipped us with weapons to battle with. He's given us tools to work with. We are to sow peacefully, trusting that the fruit of our labor will be a harvest of righteousness. So I ask again, who among us is wise and understanding? Next week, as we continue our study, we will see the unfortunate outcome of worldly wisdom in the church, and it's not a beautiful sight. But my hope for this morning is that you will be encouraged as maybe you recognize some of these attributes God working in you already. Or maybe there's just a desire in you to, to grow in these. I mean, what I would love is if everyone would meditate do like I did, it, it was so life-changing to memorize, to memorize verses 17 and 18 and to use them as a guide because if you're like me, you'll find that some instances we can be like that farmer and be surprised that when the harvest that we gather is not what we thought it was. You might find that like a hypocrite playing a part, you use godly wisdom in one instance and earthly wisdom in the next. But lastly, believer, be encouraged. If you're a born again believer in the Lord, you have the living spirit of God inside of you. And as the apostle Paul told the Philippians, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord willing, to the extent that we demonstrate godly wisdom. We will bridle the tongue, live wisely, and more faithfully exhibit the effects of true saving faith. Let's pray. 
Well, Father, we do love you. And Father, it, it would be impossible for us to just work these attributes into ourselves. So, Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would equip us, that you would lead us, that you would convict us of areas where we use the world's wisdom to try to navigate this life, Father. Father, that you did not send your son to the cross that we would remain in this world, but that you would save us out of it. So Father, conform us more and more into the image of your son until that day of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.